Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, helping you have a great night's sleep. Please listen to this recording in a place where you can safely go to sleep. Sleep Cove's recordings consist of sleep hypnosis, meditations and stories, and are designed to calm your mind and put you in a perfect relaxed state for sleep. I'm Christopher Fitton, and I'll be the voice you hear on Sleep Cove. Thanks to everyone who has been listening and reviewing the show. You can leave a five-star review on Spotify now, and also leave written reviews on Apple and YouTube. The reviews have been pouring in, and it's nice to see that the podcast has been helping people sleep from all over the world. Leaving reviews helps promote the podcast to more people. A review I've had recently is from Maya Hanna, who said every night you put me to sleep like a baby. The meditations are honestly 10 out of 10. I've never found a podcast that is quite as good as yours. Thank you. And thank you, Maya, for that wonderful review. If you would like to support Sleep Cove, please go to patreon.com slash sleepcove. There you'll receive ad-free content as well as bonus episodes. This recording consists of relaxing stories from Native Americans. I'll be reading three stories. The first is the letter of Chief Seattle. The second is a folk tale called The Girl Who Married the Pine Tree. And the third another folk tale called The Discovery of the Upper World. I really hope you enjoy them. This episode is made possible by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours and is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. And also you can contact anyone remotely and get your therapy remotely, which might not be available in your local area. Visit betterhelp.com slash sleepcove, that's better H-E-L-P, and join over the one million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. All Sleep Cove listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash sleepcove. We begin with a true story. It's the letter sent to the President of the United States in 1885 by Chief Seattle when he was made an offer to sell the land of the Native Americans. This letter is deeply profound and gained relatively recent popularity in the environmental movement. I hope you find his wise words peaceful and relaxing as you fall asleep. The great chief in Washington sends word that he wishes to buy our land. The great chief also sends his words of friendship and goodwill. This is kind of him, since we know he has little need of our friendship in return. But we will consider your offer, for we know if we do not do so, 
the white man may come with guns and take our land. What Chief Seattle says you can count on as truly as our white brothers can count on the return of the seasons. My words are like the stars, they do not set. How can you buy or sell the sky, the warmth of the land? The idea is strange to us, yet we do not own the freshness of the air or the sparkle of the water. How can you buy them from us? We will decide in our time. Every part of this earth is sacred to my people. Every shining pine needle, every sandy shore, every mist in the dark woods, every clearing and every humming insect is wholly in the memory of the experience of my people. The sap that runs through the trees carries the memories of the red-skinned man. The white man's dead forget the country of their birth when they go to walk among the stars. Our dead never forget this beautiful earth, for it is the mother of the red man. We are part of the earth, and it is part of us. The perfumed flowers of our sisters, the deer, the horse, the great eagle, these are our brothers. The rocky crests, the juices in the meadow, the body heat of the pony and man, all belong to the same family. So when the chief in Washington sends word that he wishes to buy land, he asks much of us. The great chief sends word he will reserve a place so that we can live comfortably to ourselves. He will be our father and we will be his children, so we will consider your offer to buy our land. But it will not be easy, for this land is sacred to us. This shining water that moves in the streams and rivers is not just water but the blood of our ancestors. If we sell you land, you must remember that it is sacred, but you must teach your children that it is sacred and that each ghostly reflection in the clear water of the lakes tells of events and memories in the life of my people. The water's murmur is the voice of my father's father. The rivers are our brothers, they quench our thirst. The rivers carry our canoes and feed our children. If we sell you our land, you must remember and teach your children that the rivers are our brothers and yours, and you must henceforth give the rivers the kindness you would give any brother. We know that the white man does not understand our ways. One portion of land is the same to him as the next, for he is a stranger who comes in the night and takes from the land whatever he needs. The earth is not his brother, but his enemy, and when he has conquered it, he moves on. 
He leaves his father's graves behind. He does not care. He kidnaps the earth from his children and he does not care. His father's grave and his children's birthright are forgotten. He treats his mother the earth and his brother the sky as things to be bought, plundered, sold like sheep or bright beads. His appetite will devour the earth and leave behind only a desert. I do not know. Our ways are different from your ways. The sight of your cities pains the eyes of the red man. But perhaps it is because the red man is a savage and does not understand. There is no quiet place in the white man's cities. No place to hear the unfurling of leaves in spring or the rustle of an insect's wings. But perhaps it is because I am a savage and do not understand. The clutter only seems to insult the ears. And what does there to life if a man cannot hear the lonely cry of the whippoorwill or the arguments of the frogs around a pond at night? I am a red man and do not understand. The Indian prefers the soft sound of the wind darting over the face of a pond and the smell of the wind itself, cleaned by a midday rain or scented with a pinion pine. The air is precious to the red man, for all things share the same breath, the beast, the tree, the man, they all share the same breath. The white man does not seem to notice the air he breathes, like a man dying for many days. He is numb to the stench. But if we sell you our land, you must remember that the air is precious to us, that the air shares its spirit with all the life it supports. The wind that gave our grandfather his first breath also receives his last sigh. If we sell you our land, you must keep it apart and sacred, as a place where even the white man can go to taste the wind that is sweetened by the meadow's flowers. So we will consider your offer to buy our land. If we decide to accept, I will make one condition. The white man must treat the beasts of this land as his brothers. I am a savage and I do not understand any other way. I've seen a thousand rotting buffaloes on the prairie, left by the white man who shot them from a passing train. I am a savage and I do not understand how the smoking iron horse can be more important than the buffalo that we kill only to stay alive. What is a man without the beasts? If all the beasts are gone, man would die from a great loneliness of spirit. For whatever happens to the beasts, soon happens to man. All things are connected. You must teach your children 
that the ground beneath their feet is the ashes of your grandfathers, so that they will respect the land. Tell your children that the earth is rich with the lives of our kin. Teach your children what we have taught our children, that the earth is our mother. Whatever befalls the earth, befalls the sons of the earth. If men spit upon the ground, they spit upon themselves. This we know, the earth does not belong to man, man belongs to the earth, this we know. All things are connected, like the blood which unites one family, all things are connected, like the blood which unites one family, all things are connected, whatever befalls the earth befalls the sons of the earth. Man did not weave the web of life, he is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Even the white man whose god walks and talks with him as friend to friend, cannot be exempt from the common destiny. We may be brothers after all, we shall see. One thing we know which the white man may one day discover, our God is the same God, you may think now that you own him as you wish to own our land, but you cannot, he is the God of man and his compassion is equal for the red man and the white, the earth is precious to him and to harm the earth is to heap contempt on his creator. The whites too shall pass, perhaps sooner than all other tribes. Contaminate your bed and you will one night suffocate in your own waste. But even in your last hours, you will feel illuminated by the idea that God brought you to these lands and gave you special purpose and ownership over them and over the red man. When the buffalo are all slaughtered, the wild horses all tamed, the secret corners of the forest heavy with the scent of many men, and the view of the ripe hills blotted by the talking wires, where is the thicket? Gone. Where is the eagle? Gone. And what is it to say goodbye to the swift and the hunt? the end of living and beginning of survival. We might understand if we knew what it was the white man dreams, what hopes he describes to his children on long winter nights, what visions he burns into their minds so that they will wish for tomorrow. But we are savages, the white man's dreams are hidden from us, and because they are hidden, we will go our own way, if we agree it will be to secure your reservation, you have promised, there perhaps we may live at our brief days as we wish, when the last red man has vanished from the earth, and the memory is only the shadow of a cloud passing over the prairie, 
these shores and forests will still hold the spirits of my people, for they love this earth as the newborn loves its mother's heartbeat. If we sell you our land, love it as we have loved it, care for it as we have cared for it, hold in the memory the way the land is as you take it, and with all your strength, with all your might, and with all your heart, preserve it for your children, and love it as God loves us. One thing we know, our God is the same, the earth is precious to him, even the white man cannot escape the common destiny. Chief Seattle The second story is a folk tale called The Girl Who Married the Pine Tree. Upon the side of a certain mountain grew some pines under the shade of which the Pugenes or sprites were accustomed to sport at times. Now it happened that in the neighborhood of these trees was a lodge in which dwelt a beautiful girl and her father and mother. One day a man came to the lodge of the father and seeing the girl he loved her and said, Give me Leela now for my wife. And the old man consented. Now it happened that the girl did not like her lover so she escaped from the lodge and went and hid herself, and as the sun was setting, she came to the pine trees, and leaning against one of them, she lamented her hard fate. On a sudden, she heard a voice which seemed to come from the trees, saying, Be my wife, maiden, beautiful Leela now, beautiful Leela now. The girl was astonished, not knowing whence the voice had come. She had listened again and the words were repeated, evidently by the tree against which she leaned. Then the maid consented to be the wife of the pine tree. Meanwhile her parents had missed her and sent out parties to see if she could be found, but she was nowhere. Time passed on, but Leela now never returned to her home. Hunters who have been crossing the mountain have come to the trees at sunset, say that they have seen a beautiful girl there in company with a handsome youth who vanished as they approached. The Discovery of the Upper World The Minotaries and all the other Indians who are not of the stock of the grandfather of nations, were once not of this upper air, but dwelt in the bowels of the earth. The good spirit, when he had made them, meant no doubt at a proper time to put them in enjoyment of all the good things which he had prepared for them upon earth. But he ordered that their first stage of existence should be within it. They all dwelt underground, like moles in one great cavern. When they emerged, it was in different places, 
but generally near where they now inhabit. At the time few of the Indian tribes wore the human form, and some had the figures or semblances of beasts. The poor Canucuts were rabbits, some of the Delawares were groundhogs, others tortoises, the Tuscararas and a great many others were rattlesnakes, the Sioux were the hissing snakes, but the Minotauris were always men. Their part of the great cavern was situated far towards the mountains of snow. The great cavern in which the Indians dwelt was indeed a dark and dismal region. In the country of the Minotauris, it was lightened up only by the rays of the sun, which strayed through the fissures of the rock and the crevices in the roof of the cavern, while in that of the Mengui all were dark and sunless. The life of the Indians was a life of misery compared with that which they enjoy now, and it was endured only because they were ignorant of the fairer or richer world, or a better or happier state of being. There among the Minotauris, two boys who from the hour of their birth showed superior wisdom and cunning. Even while they were children, they were wiser than their fathers. They asked their parents whence the light came which streamed through the fissures of the rock and played along the sides of the cavern, and whence and from what descended the roots of the great vine. Their father could not tell them, and the mother only laughed at the question which appeared to her very foolish. They asked the priest, but he could not tell them, but he said he supposed the light came from the eyes of some great wolf. The boys asked the king tortoise, who sulkily drew his head into a shell and made no answer. When they asked the chief rattlesnake, he answered that he knew and would tell them all about it if they could promise to make peace with his tribe and on no account kill one of his descendants. The boys promised, and the chief rattlesnake then told them that there was a world above them, a beautiful world, peopled by creatures in the shape of beasts, having a pure atmosphere and a soft sky, sweet fruits and mellow water, well-stocked hunting grounds everywhere, and well-filled lakes. He told them to ascend by the roots which were those of the great grapevine. A while after the boys were missing, nor did they come back till the Minotaurs had commemorated their death, and the lying priest had, as he falsely said, in a vision seen them inhabitants of the land of spirits. The Indians were surprised when the boys returned, they came back singing and dancing, and had grown so much and looked so different from what they did when they had left the cavern. Their father and mother scarcely knew them, 
they were sleek and fat, and when they walked, it was with so strong a step that the hollow space rang with the sound of their feet. They were covered with the skins of animals, and had blankets of the skins of raccoons and beavers. They described to the Indians the pleasures of the upper world, and the people were delighted with their story. At length they resolved to leave their dull residence underground for the upper region. All agreed to this except the groundhog, the badger and the mole, who said as they had been put where they were, they would live and die there. The rabbit said he would live sometimes above and sometimes below. When the Indians had determined to leave their habitations underground, the miniatures began men, women and children to clamber up the vine and one half of them had already reached the surface of the earth when a dire mishap involved the remainder in a still more desolate captivity within its bowels. There was among them a very overweight old woman who was heavier than any six of her nation. Nothing would do but she must go up before some of her neighbours. Away she clambered but her weight was so great that the vine broke with it and the opening to which it afforded the sole means of ascending and it closed upon her and the rest of the nation. <laughs>